Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting Slate's Parenting Podcast for Thursday, October 25th, the Don't Go to France edition. I'm Gabriel Roth. I am the editorial director of Slate Podcasts, and I'm the father of Leo, who is four years old, and Eliza, who is seven. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. I'm a journalist and podcaster from New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 16, Teddy, who is 15 and a half, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 18. Oh, my God, hold on. I just got my own kid's age wrong. (laughs) 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 Eh, Keep rolling. They'll never care. Yeah, no, no, we all need to know that. He's 17. Sorry. Sorry, Henry. Um, (laughs) My name is Carvel Wallace. I'm a writer and podcaster in Oakland, California, and I'm the father to Georgia, who is 13, which I know is a fact, and Ezra, who is 15. Which is a conjecture? Which is conjecture. (laughs) 15 going on 109. Today on our show, we have a question about a six-year-old who is getting a little bit too physical with her boyfriend. And another about whether you should bring an infant on a cycling trip. Spoiler, no. Plus, as always. (laughs) Wait, you can't do that. Sorry. I mean, come on. Plus, I love that. As always, we'll have triumphs and fails. We'll make recommendations. And on our Slate Plus segment, Rebecca's son, Teddy's theatrical career may have stalled. We'll find out why. (laughs) First, though. Drama on the stage. Drama, drama. First, though, uh, (laughs) triumphs and fails. Uh, Carvel, you want to do go first, triumph or fail? Yeah, I'd say we I, we had a triumph this week. I it was another week in which I or another weekend at least in which I had to take a work related trip, which is it's good, but it's getting to be a lot. I mean, it was a nice trip, and I got a lot of work done, but it's always just it's like ugh. Anyway, so I got back and I wanted to reconnect with the kids last night, and we um we decided to go over to a friend's house who we hadn't seen for a long time, kind of like an old family friend, and their and her son, who is Ezra's age, in fact, the kids, Ezra and this kid were born six days apart. They've been sort of, they're more like brothers than like friends. In any event, um, we went over there and had a great time. That's really all there is to it. I mean, we just like, it was like a family dinner. Like there was great food and we played games, board games, and it's like everyone's a teenager now, but they're still, everyone just kind of reverted to that obsessive, goofy laughing stuff. And they kept cracking jokes at the dinner table and like, you know, and it just was great. Like, it just was so great. <laughs> and the kids were, it was just, there's such a grind, you know, especially at this point in the school year, everything is up and running. Everyone's trying to finish homework and hit deadlines and get things done and get their things together and all this stuff. And I think just having a spontaneous sort of last minute decision to just hang out with friends and family and crack jokes and play games all night was just really welcome. And uh, it seemed like the kids really loved it. They laughed all night long and... So it's just a nice thing. That's so good. Oh, I love that. Hmm. Yeah. Rebecca, what about you? You want to go? Yeah, uh, I've got to triumph really on Teddy's behalf because I I think this is another first. I think two two weeks in a row, a first for Teddy, where 
he legit beat out Henry at something that's like like one of those things that's like an, a prestigious thing that you have to like do and, and either get or don't get. So they both went um, this weekend to Allstate Jazz Auditions. This is Henry's second time and final attempt to get into Allstate Jazz for playing the drums, which, to be fair, is really hard because they only pick like two in the whole state. Uh, and Teddy went for voice and uh, Teddy got in. And mm. Henry did not. <laughs> mm. And um, so it's Henry, both a triumph I'm, and a fail in a way. No, I mean, well, I'll, I'll be real. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it a triumph unless Henry was like exceptionally cool at it. He was texting me last night and telling me, and he's just like, "Yeah, he's like, I'm gonna be real. Like, I didn't work very hard on my audition. I kind of didn't deserve it, but Teddy worked super hard, and he did. So I'm really happy for him. And he seems to be Henry seems to be taking it in stride. I don't think his, um, I think it was much more important to Teddy than it was to Henry, and. He's just really, really excited that, you know, this is kind of a big deal. They only pick a few kids from around the state. He's a, a tremendous vocalist. Like, his singing voice is really incredible. And um, he's been working really hard at it. And I, as much as I, I give Teddy a lot of crap for his lack of worth ethic, ethic around things like homework, uh, when it comes to playing the bass and singing, like, he practices hours and hours and hours every week. And I'm just really proud of his achievements in that area. And I feel like it's something I don't focus on enough. And as we've talked about on the show before, when you have a kid who you feel like isn't, quote, living up to their potential in these other areas, it can be difficult to realize that when in the balance of things, sometimes the things they're really talented and good at, like if they're excelling in those areas, no matter what they are, video games, music, whatever, like those are also achievements and they're also important and they're also on that same level. So this was a big one and I'm super proud of him and it feels like a, a nice triumph for our family. Nice. Um, unfortunately, I also have a triumph this week, which means it's a oh. three, unfortunately three, no, it's a three triumph Jesus week, which are always unpopular with the fans, and I don't blame them. <laughs> if I were if I were listening to this show, I would also dislike the three triumph weeks. Sorry, haters. <laughs> um, in any case, <laughs> my triumph is we had a nice weekend, but we were stuck at home for a while, and I was with both of the kids, and it, it, they're they're at ages where they're four and almost eight, and they're at a point where if they're to like keeping them both entertained at the same time with one activity that's not the two of them like wailing on each other is very difficult at this point. Um, and Eliza can like read books now and so she's sort of self-sustaining and so then the problem of like what do you do with Leo when like you're hanging around the house and you have stuff to do and he's not self-sustaining and it's just it's an issue. I figured out a really good solution this weekend. He, he has a you know matching games where you like you have to flip over the tiles and it's a great game because four-year-olds are like preternaturally good at remembering which of these ones is the crocodile and he can beat me at this <laughs> game which is very satisfying for him because his memory hasn't been corroded by 45 years alive on this earth in any case he has one of these with the marvel superheroes and supervillains on it which he enjoys playing and so we played that a little bit but then the problem with that game is you have to play it with him and and so you can't be doing anything other than playing marvel superheroes matching game with him but then what i figured out is marvel superheroes matching game time treasure hunt which is i hide 20 different superhero tiles somewhere around like this floor of the apartment and, <laughs> and i write down on a pad like where they all are so they're not just going to keep showing up for the rest of eternity 
And then he can spend like 45 minutes wandering around the apartment like, I found Wolverine! And I'm like, great job, you found Wolverine. But I'm still doing the thing that I need to be doing. And I'm like marking off Wolverine on my pad that he's found Wolverine. And it really, it took me about five minutes to hide them. And then it takes him 45 minutes to find them. Uh, and, And you can bet that we'll be playing Marvel Super Heroes matching game tile treasure hunt for until he learns to read essentially so i guess two two and a half years um so so that's that's my triumph huh did you watch castle rock by any chance gabe i i I am not aware of the show i assume Uh, the show castle it's a really good show on hulu it's sort of based on the writings of stephen king and it's Uh, got sissy spacek and all these great actors in it and it came out this year and uh Sissy Spacek, it's like very unclear whether it's like a time travel thing or just like her struggles with dementia, but she kind of hides chess pieces all around the house for herself to find. And I was just wondering if you were inspired by that for this game, which is essentially... Uh, you creating BS busy work for your kid, which yes. I am always, always yes. a fan of. Absolutely. <laughs> nice job. <laughs> it's not the one. It's not the one where Chris Noth plays a detective, right? That's Castle. No. That's just Castle. That's yes. Yeah, Castle. yeah. All right. Different show. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Before we move on, let's do the business. As always, if you have a question that you would like us to answer for you on the air, for you and the rest of the audience, obviously, uh, you can leave us a message, 424-255-7833, or send us an email, momanddad at slate.com. Uh, you've heard us talk about our Facebook group before. A lot of good stuff going on on our Facebook group. Other parents sharing their triumphs, their fails, making recommendations, asking questions. So much good discussion. We ban the obnoxious jerks who make things worse for everybody. So go to Facebook, search for Slate Parenting, and apply to join the group. You will enjoy it. On Slate Plus today, Rebecca's going to talk to us about some uh, family drama surrounding uh, her younger son's theatrical career. Uh, If you want to hear that segment and more discussions like it every week, join Slate Plus. It's a great way to help support this show. Uh, Just $35 for your first year, and you get an extended ad-free version of this show and so many other great Slate shows every week. Go to slate.com slash Plus and join today. If there's anyone out there who'd like to hear us give advice, uh, now is your moment. We're going to take a question uh, from a listener. This one came to us by voicemail. If you want to leave us a voicemail, hear your voice on the show, you can call us at 424-255-7833. Let's hear this question. Hi, I have a six-year-old daughter who is in kindergarten and uh, she's very extroverted and outgoing and loves other people. Last year in preschool, uh, we had lots of talks with her about um, how that she wanted to kiss other people and about respecting other people and their yes or their no um, and not to kiss people unless they wanted to be kissed, especially other kids. Um, but this year, now that she's in uh, kindergarten, she's decided that she has a boyfriend and she's, uh, we've always been very body positive with her, correctly labeling body parts, trying not to instill any shame about them. 
But uh, what she's been telling us recently is that she's very curious about this boyfriend's body parts and wants to explore them, uh, which is, uh, I feel out of my depth. I don't know how to deal with this um, because obviously that seems like not, not kindergarten appropriate. And yet the idea of, oh, well, just respect other people's bodies doesn't work because she's also telling me, well, oh, my boyfriend wants me to look at his penis and touch it. So uh, I need help. Advice? Thanks. All right. Who wants to go first? Carvel does. No, Carvel does not want to go first. I, I, I can do it. Do it. Uh, yeah. uh, all right. Yeah. So, help us out here. So first of all, it seems like what, what the daughter of this caller is wanting to do and the things that she's saying are are developmentally appropriate and normal and this is what would have fallen under the rubric of like playing doctor uh, in a previous generation but like curiosity about one's own bodies about other people's bodies about the different genitals associated with different bodies is is a normal natural healthy thing uh, all fine no problem and and I the call the fact that the caller is, is making a point of saying well we don't want to shame her or or introduce that kind of thing that that seems right and good. It seems like the the frame the consent framework, which we often use to talk about adult sexual ethics, uh, and which is also applicable to to kid sexual ethics. It seems like the caller is saying she's reached the limits of the usefulness of the consent framework <laughs> because here here is a situation in which apparently, as described, there's consent among the parties, and yet it seems like a situation that we we might want to rule out of bounds in some way. Um, the, the word that the caller uses is uh, it's it's not appropriate for kindergarten. And I, I, I think that's basically right, or maybe that's as close as we can characterize the, the problem with the idea of the one six-year-old girl wanting to look at her six-year-old boyfriend's penis. Um, I think the thing, the term you might want to introduce to your daughter is, is, is privacy. I think the thing you might want to say is, like, I understand you're curious and it's normal to be curious about that and we can answer you questions about it and we can show you books about it and there's not any information about this that's off limits, but those parts of your body and those parts of his body are private and other than with your parents or your doctor, it's not really appropriate to share them with anybody, even if it's a friend, even if it's someone from your class, even if it's someone who's curious about them. And you don't have to do that in a shaming way. You can do that, hopefully, in an explanatory way. And the thing is, if they then on a play date kind of slip away and are like checking out each other's body parts, that's also not the end of the world. Uh, and it doesn't have to be about shame. It can just be about like, well, this is private and it's not really appropriate. And and so I'm going to discourage you from doing that. And and what you don't say is, and if, if you wind up doing that out of my field of vision, then then so be it. That's what I think. What do you guys think? I, I think you're very, what you just said is very close to my instincts here. And also I think close to what, you know, probably a lot of experts would say. I mean, I think it's very important to remember that you are, when you encounter these situations, what you're doing is observing the very natural development beha- developmental behavior of your child. And the fact that your child feels comfortable talking to you about it, I think says a whole lot about the parenting that you've already done and the kind of communication you've already established. And I think the reason why um, you may have felt compelled to ask us this question is because you don't want to mess that up. You're like, I got a good thing going here. If I handle this the wrong way, like maybe my daughter will just never tell me anything again. And I think it's smart to keep that in mind. I think it is very easy to, when you're an adult, uh, forget that there's a 
big difference between child sexuality and adult sexuality. And Mm. childhood sexuality is driven by curiosity and it is driven by, you know, the differences that they are starting to notice in their world between themselves and the people around them. Um, I remember, you know, when my one of my sons was in preschool, like a play date getting super quiet and like coming into his room and finding both he and his friend like completely naked. And in the moment just being like, okay, guys, it's time to get dressed now and go downstairs and just like moving on with the <laughs> with my day and remembering that like, okay, um, how about we just make sure that we don't like let them go up in their room for an hour anymore unless the door's open or unless they're kind of within line of sight. And I think that the language that I used around that time was, you know, it's okay to be curious, but it's not okay to like expose, look and touch because that's the kind of thing where you start violating people's privacy and so forth. So um, the other thing that I would say here is that, you know, if your daughter is in kindergarten, I think you might have a wonderful resource in her teacher and in people who work at the school who I guarantee you have dealt with this exact situation about 5,000 times and can probably help you uh, with some books or with some language or with some talking points around it. And, you know, if it's something that they know that you're, you know, working on with your own daughter, you know, it might sort of heighten awareness a little bit and trying to instill some of those positive messages and uh, lack of nudity in the in the school <laughs> environment. <laughs> So I would I would definitely talk to someone there, not to raise an alarm, not to say, I think that there's something off, but just to say like, hey, I'm guessing you guys have dealt with this before since you deal with uh, five and six year olds all the time. Uh, what, what would you do if you were me? And I bet you'll find some wisdom there. Yeah, I think that's like, I think that's great. And I, I like I feel like the tone of the letter suggests Kind of like the I which I think which I think is the most important thing, which is that the letter writer doesn't feel like there's necessarily anything crazy or wrong. In other words, there's not the mistake that we sometimes have to impose the the framework of adult sexuality onto children, which is problematic in a multitude of directions. But some one of the ways that shows up is we are like kids are curious or they're touching or they're hugging or something, and we're like th- we're like consent, and we're like we're like throwing in these adult concepts which are important, but the framework is based on adult sexuality. And and I think it's a hard uh, path to walk. It's very narrow, sort of the difference between recognizing when kids are doing something that is natural and appropriate and age appropriate and recognizing when kids are like um, having a learning opportunity or an experience that can lead to or is connected to greater toxic behavior. It's really hard to navigate through those things. And so I want to like acknowledge that <clears throat> the letter writer is in a tough spot, but I, it sounds to me or the caller rather is in a tough spot, but it sounds to me like she has a pretty clear sense of the fact that this is like kind of normal. Kids are going to see what's up and they're going to have questions. And there's like Gabe brilliantly said, the limits of the consent conversation have been reached. And now we're beyond the usefulness of that particular framework in this particular moment. And so I don't have much to add except for the fact that I think that, um, it's in addition to asking teachers for help and asking, um, you know, and, and looking for books. I also, I wonder if it makes sense to talk to the other kids' parents. Um, not in some way that is like, hey, I'm really concerned about this crazy thing, but is there a way we can strategize together about a conversation on this? That's always dicey because you never know what you're getting with another kid's parents. But, I mean, they, you may be sort of cool and chill about it, and then they may launch into some absurd 
overreaction that just creates more damage for everyone. So you have to kind of sense who they are and trust their instinct. But I think that that's I'm just want to lay out that that's a possibility for another resource by which you can like help navigate some of the more complicated aspects of having this conversation. But overall, it doesn't sound like anything is wrong. You just need tools on how to navigate this sort of situation as it stands. All right. I think that's right. I think we've said it. I hope that was helpful. Thank you for your question. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet... You can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Let's take another question. This one came to us by email. If you want to email us a question, you do that at slate.com. Uh, and this question is being read for us by Slate's own Shasha Leona. Dear Mom and Dad are fighting. I'm 22 weeks pregnant with my first child. My husband is the third of four kids, and our baby will be the first grandchild. We recently staged a cross-country surprise visit to share the news with his parents, and it went very well. My husband's parents are avid bikers and have taken road bike vacations in France every year since before I've known them, over 11 years. In the recent years, they have alternated between taking an organized group bike tour and renting a house that the family shares and bikes from. My husband bikes, his sister and her partner bike on these trips. My husband's other sister and brother, their partners, and I do not. The trips usually end up with the group divided into two, bikers and non-bikers, where those who choose to not bike tootle about town and try to find interesting things to do. We typically all go out around 7 p.m. for dinner to eat in the evening at some fancy French restaurant and get back after 10 p.m. I don't particularly like these long meals and don't find much enjoyment going back to the same place year after year. I skipped the last trip because of this. After our recent visit to share our news, my father-in-law sent an email inviting everyone for a trip next September. In the email, he said how wonderful it would be if the new baby would be there. Our baby would be seven months at the proposed date of the trip. I'm struggling with how to approach the proposal. I initially thought it would be a nice chance for our family to spend time and get to know our new baby, but felt like it wasn't really the setting that made the most sense. As time has gone on, I've been hurt that there has been no real consideration of how this trip would be different with a baby. I'm envisioning a horrible flight with the crying baby, then when we get there, me being left all alone at the house with an infant to care for while everyone goes off on excursions. Then they will all come back, play with the baby for an hour, then leave for a fancy dinner, me being left at home with the baby again. My husband recently spoke with his mother and raised some of our concerns. She said she didn't have to bike every day and could watch the baby some. She also volunteered my brother-in-law's wife to watch the baby at some point, though I don't think she actually asked her if she was up for it. No one else really has any interest in children, and I can't imagine them wanting to help. My husband understands my concern and has said we won't make a decision until a month or so before the trip. I prefer he go, since he enjoys the biking and long meals, and I can stay at home and save money and vacation time. However, there is still a part of me that thinks his parents won't be able to do this forever. Should I suck it up and go, even though I'll be miserable? I've also had friends say they think it's good to start traveling with children when they are young, so they get used to it. But would this really be the right occasion? The whole situation now causes me anxiety and is making me feel alienated from my in-laws, which seems silly. 
Do you have any advice on how to think about traveling with an infant? How to plan on sharing experiences with grandparents while making it a positive experience for me? I love your show and appreciate any thoughts on the situation. Thanks. Vacation Blues mom-to-be. This question is so much more complicated than <clears throat> should you or should you not go on this vacation? Uh, there's a lot <laughs> going on here that I hear, and you know I can okay, relate to a lot of off, it. First off, yes? you should not go on this vacation. Well, don't, no, I mean, don't go on the vacation. It'll be terrible. Well, now, let's, what, let's what just, else say, is let's just say this, but it's not going to be terrible because <laughs> traveling with a, with a baby is terrible because traveling with a baby can actually be awesome. It can be. I know that. I did it myself. And like, it can be great. And it's like a lot of the anxiety around traveling with a baby is sometimes what makes it so awful. So I just want to like, let's just like forget about the whole, like, should you get on a plane and go to this place thing for a second? Because mm -hmm. what I hear here is some existing anger mm -hmm. and resentment around yep. this family and uh, and around the way that um, this mom, this mom-to-be feels in this family. I mean, this family has a groove. They have like this sort of like cool club thing that they all do together. And this uh, writer in her is on the outside of it. And not just because she's having a baby, but was already on the outside of it. I mean, she describes family trips where the parents are essentially running the whole vacation, which means that everybody else is using their vacation time to go meet the parents at this very high commitment location that it, that is you know, revolves around an activity that those on the outside mm -hmm. don't participate in and uh, don't mm -hmm. seem to enjoy sort of the rest of the activities. But then there's sort of this sense that, like, there should be some familial gratitude around it. And I, you know, I sort of understand that. And I understand how that can sort of overcome the feeling of just like, oh, hey, my in-laws rent a house in France and we get to go every other year. I mean, that would be an easy position to take. But there's other stuff going on here. There's control stuff going on. There's insider-outsider dynamics going on. There's some fear around being a new parent in this situation. And I think being worried about not being the one in charge when it comes to um, raising your baby and making decisions around your baby. And I, I, I think this is more of, about feeling like an outsider in your in-laws family, like more than anything else. I mean, I'll say this. I, I don't think traveling with a baby is a bad thing. I think it's great to take them to do things right away. I remember taking uh, both of my kids, Henry in particular, because it was only one at the time when he was a baby, out to restaurants in his car seat for like later dinners and just like putting his car seat under the table. And if he woke up, taking him out, feeding him, and then putting him back under the table in the car seat. And that sort of dynamic of continuing to live your life with a baby can be really rewarding and uh, can help build in a lot of flexibility. And I think that's all really, really good. But it also sounds like you just don't want to go on this trip. And I have to say, if you haven't enjoyed it in the past and you don't think you're going to enjoy it this time, you know, maybe don't like have it be about the baby. I think it's OK for you just to say no for for those reasons. Um, and I, I mean, I'm just going to leave it at that. But I just I definitely hear like a whole lot more going on here than whether or not this vacation is the right thing to do. Yeah, I I agree with that. I like I agree with that a hundred percent. Like this feels to me like it really is about her relationship with the family, and not necessarily about the baby. And the reason why is because I, the, I mean, this is a person who is pregnant with their first child. So I think that there's another factor, which is just generalized anxiety about what's it going to be like when we have a baby because we don't have one yet. And mm -hmm. so I think there's a lot of speculation and guesswork on what it's going to be like. And a lot of that speculation and guesswork is landing in the in the realm of uh, I'm, a, I'm worried about what's going to be difficult and hard about it. 
So I think that there's a little bit of extra stuff of that. Not that it's not difficult and hard to have a baby, but I think that the anxiety is sometimes worse than the experience. Sometimes. I, I agree with Rebecca that it's totally possible to go travel somewhere with a kid and have it not suck, provided that your expectation isn't, provided that your expectation is that you're parenting on the road. You're parenting in another place, not that you're going to get a vacation and then the kid is somehow in the way of that vacation. If you have that expectation, then you're going to have a shitty experience. I also think that when the kids are little, like the baby baby is way better to travel with them than when they're toddlers. Because by the time they're toddlers, there's routines and there's expectations and there's, you know, kids are like aware that the smells are different and this looks different and where's my bed and this doesn't have the thing in my pajamas. And the root and nap routines are the big one. And so what with an infant nap routines are not an issue. They fall asleep wherever, whenever, however. So I think it's actually easier to travel with a with a baby, a little baby, than it is to travel with someone who's like got nap routines and systems and expectations in place, which doesn't happen till, you know, later. So I also and I also think that the way the trip is described, it's entirely possible for this mom to go on this trip, take the baby, recognize that I'm just going to I'm basically going to be momming with the baby. It's as if I were at home, except I'm going to be in France and it'll be interesting. And a lot of times the baby will be in the sling and or whatever. And we'll see some things and some uh, mountains and just whatever beautiful shit. And I'm going to buy a T-shirt and some wine goblets. And it's going to be trip to France. and It's going to be fine. And the fact that there's so many people in the family who aren't bikers and they're going to be around for jokes and whatever. It's a lot easier when there's a little baby than it is when the baby is 18 months. It's just so much easier because they go with the flow. And then the older they get, the less with the flow they go. And so I think it's totally possible to have a perfectly fine time on this trip. And that's why I agree with Rebecca that the problem isn't really are you going to have a fine time on the trip. The problem really has to do with, like, bad feelings around the family and your involvement in it. (laughs) And I think I agree with Rebecca that for that reason alone, if this is stressing you out to this extent, even in theory, when you're still, you know, 18 weeks away from giving birth, I think that you should probably just opt out of this trip. And if people have feelings about that, they can just have them. And maybe as more goes on and more is revealed, then you'll come around next year. Or maybe you decide not to come next year. Or maybe you just don't go on this fucking trip and that's it. And, (laughs) yeah, of course the grandparents aren't going to be able to do this forever. But I I, I can't tell from the letter, but I don't think this is the only opportunity in the world to see the grandparents. They don't live on a bike in the French Alps or whatever. They they go there. And so I I think if you really care about having an opportunity for the baby and the grandparents to bond or whatever it is, you can find some other way to do it that doesn't involve decamping to France and then just being in resentment the entire time because that's going to suck for you. That's that's a good way of thinking about it. I think I um I I, I want to inject a personal note, which is that when I was uh what would I have been ten or eleven, I went on a cycling vacation in France, and it sucked. Oh man, <laughs> that sounds that's a terrible age for that. There were so oh, many chills so, just hearing so, that. So many hills. The landscape was super yeah. boring. You're like, oh, there's a field that's kind of pretty, and now it's like six hours later, and you've been pedaling up a hill for fourteen miles, and it's the same fucking field. It's not cycling pretty anymore. People, though. Cycling people. Uh, People don't oh, give bullshit. a shit what they're looking at. They yeah. really don't. And yeah, but, I, I'm sorry to all the yeah, cycling people listening be... to this podcast, but if you're not a cyclist no, and you have yeah. to hang out with cycling people, you guys can be assholes. You really can about just sort but, of like the culture you know of cycling. Yeah. And yeah. Fuck yeah. Cycling. Joy of cycling. Yeah, I mean, who, well, yeah, I'm okay. sorry, who are but like piss off this week, I guess we're going to get it, cycling. It, 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 or cycling Facebook is going to be after us. It's but fine. The point is I, that I work with plenty of those, and I get it all the time. 
Yeah, but a ten-year-old can't be a cycling person. No, <laughs> I mean it's unlikely. And, and, and so certainly a not a, is just a ten-year-old. Certainly not a ten-year-old Gabe Roth, to be honest. Right, it, it's de- <laughs> definitely not going to be a cycling person. All right, so that's number one. Any cycling holiday in France is probably a bad idea, and you shouldn't go. I, I, I think another way of phrasing what Carvel was saying is: this is not whatever trip you go on with a baby. It's not a vacation. It's off-site child care challenge. Yes. Mm. And if you want to think about this as off-site child care challenge project, then assess whether that's a challenge you want to take on. On the one hand, babies are easier because their routines are so out of step with the normal world that moving them to another time zone doesn't really make any difference. The baby's going to be awake at random times and screaming at random times and needs to eat at <laughs> random times. And that's going to be true whether you're at home or whether you're in the Dordogne or whatever bullshit part of France you're going cycling in. Uh, <laughs> But but it's worth remembering also that having a baby sometimes involves a fair amount of um, equipment, a fair amount of gear. In mm. the same way you might present to your in-laws, in the same way that cycling requires some Ooh. amount of gear, having yeah. a baby, like, like I, you know, you, you don't have the baby yet. You don't know exactly what you're going to need. Maybe it's going to be a super easy baby. Maybe you're going to be one of those moms who can just like, fuck it, I can nurse anywhere. I'm going to be halfway up a mountain nursing my baby. Mm-hmm. It's possible you're going to need your chair that enables you to like nurse the baby mm-hmm. for an extended period in, in what passes for some amount of comfort when another human being is feeding on your flesh. And mm-hmm. it's possible that the house that ever you're going to be sitting in while everybody else is out cycling is not going to be a great place for you to be like taking care of this baby for literally 24 hours a day. It's possible mm-hmm. that, that like the bed you're going to sleep in is not the bed you're going to want to sleep in when you've relatively recently had a baby and you're still taking care of a baby and maybe you're not at 100% peak physical mm-hmm. condition right now. And so that the maybe it's up to you whether that like you're like oh yeah that'll be fine i'll be fine or no i think this is maybe too much to ask of me but i think the thing to keep in mind about this trip is no one will help you you will be doing it entirely on your own everyone mm-hmm. else will be there to have a vacation yes. and your baby will be a yes. kind of occasional entertaining distraction for them between yes. their their bike ride and their going out for a french meal and and yes. if you feel good about being there all day and and providing that little bit of distraction for these people who are on vacation while you yourself are not on vacation, then fine, go for it. It'll be fun. But if, if that sounds like a situation in which you would end up feeling bitter and resentful and just kind of bored and unhappy, then figure out a way to get out of this trip because it seems terrible to me. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think I think that's, that's a good well litmus said. test for this, right? So, like, if, if she could think of everything that would make it fun for her, because first of all, it already sounds like it's not fun. It, it already trip. does. It sounds like a crappy trip for somebody who's not into the activity. If a trip is built around an activity, like if you like to go scuba diving and you're like staying in a hut on top of the Great Barrier Reef and like you don't scuba dive and you're with people who do, like that would not be fun. You know, if you can't get off your little hut island or whatever. But this so this already sounds like it's not fun. So to me, that's already a disqualification because it is a huge commitment, even if you don't have a baby, to use your vacation time for this. And also, I do think it's a huge commitment to take vacations with with family even if it's not if it's not just your own family with your husband's family like that's a different dynamic than the vacations you would choose to take if you could do anything that's a family trip it's not the same thing as a vacation i don't think um so if 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 there are a set of circumstances where this could potentially like you know they would be fun for me if my in-laws found a nanny to hire that you know allowed me to go out every single day and if 
uh, they were to change the location of the trip from France to I don't know Maine, <laughs> someplace that's easier to get to. And if and if you if you have that list. And you realize if they do all of those things, if you still don't want to go, then you should not be going on this damn vacation. You shouldn't be because it's not about any of those things. You just shouldn't be going. I mean, I would even take it a step further. She didn't go last time because she doesn't like the vacation. Exactly. <laughs> like she, It wasn't even because of the baby. She literally was like, I don't even like this vacation without a baby. So yeah, you're not going to like it anymore. Which is really crazy. I mean, I don't even know that that's the issue because she seems to whatever. But she's like, she's like, we tootle around town and then we go for dinner at seven. I don't necessarily like going to the same place over and over again. I don't like the long meals. And so I skipped the last trip because of this. So if I mean, there's a that's an easier litmus test. It, it wasn't fun when I wasn't a new mom with an infant attached to me. Will it be fun when I am? I, the answer is no. The good news the is, you, is no. you won't be going to the restaurants for those long meals. You'll be staying home and eating like bread and cheese while everybody else <laughs> goes to the restaurants for the long meals. Does that seem more, more fun or less fun? Up to you. How much do you think she's worried about, like, being the killjoy, though? I mean, is she worried about being, like, the reason why things are she, never the she same? Is, she is the mother of the baby. She's the mother right. of the first grandson. And if, and she if could, they don't she, give her a break has, for that, She has right? all the power here. You, right. you have all the power. You don't have to go right. on this trip. That's right. And if they don't give you a break for that, that's on them, not you. All right. Well, I hope that was helpful. If you do go on the trip, then definitely write us back and tell us how it goes. Um, Send pictures of yourself miserable yeah, in the countryside. Definitely. I mean, so you could join us for Slate Plus. Call, call in from France on Slate Plus and, and let us know how it's going. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, moving on. It's time now for the part of the show that I sometimes like to call uh, recommendations, but other times I call it endorsements. Uh, it's the time when we recommend <laughs> or, or alternately endorse uh, some sort of product or service, uh, some good or or activity that uh, we might we feel might benefit you in your uh, parenting journey and and lifestyle. Um, uh, Rebecca, you want to go? You want to uh, recommend or alternately endorse something? I would. I'm just looking for the link that I sent myself earlier. Found it. Okay. So back in the whenever it was that I started appearing on this podcast, I believe one of my early recommendations was the vintage cookbook, the Betty Crocker New Boys and Girls Cookbook, which I still have my 1965 mm -hmm. hardcover spiral bound version of. Um, and the reason mm -hmm. that I love this cookbook so much is because not only does it have like some very basic cooking skills stuff in it, like measurements and conversions and table etiquette and some very basic recipes like meatloaf and cake and pigs in a blanket that kids like making, but also because it has some super disgusting like 60s and 70s recipes, which are like super fun to like show your kids pictures of. Well, I am bringing that back because just uh, today I discovered that somebody 
has digitized the Betty Crocker's new Boys and Girls Cookbook. It's on a website called chestofbooks.com, and they have every single recipe in this cookbook digitized. So it's one of those books that if you can't find or if you don't want to buy the reprint that came out like 15 years ago because it, it doesn't have the same disgusting, uh, you know, jello mold recipe and you really want the real thing, you can find this old school cookbook, which many of us might remember having as kids online. So I have the link. It's chestofbooks.com and we will make sure to include it with today's show. Nice. All right. I'm mm. going to recommend um, a play that we saw over the weekend. This is for people who are in the greater New York metro area. Um, we went to see the musical Rolled Dolls, James and the Giant Peach at the Atlantic Theater Company in New York City. I am not entirely recommending this as a theatrical experience. Like this is not me wow. with my theater critic hat on. The musical is pretty good. Wow. It has, has a couple of catchy numbers and the costumes are nice and the singing is often fine. Uh, and then at other times kind of, kind of slipped a little bit. But um, I, the experience of taking the kid, we have not gone to the theater a lot with these kids. I think Eliza has probably seen a couple of plays and, and Leo had never seen a play before. And they just had a great time. They were like excited and on the edge of their seat and there's like uh, you know people are playing giant bugs and there's puppetry and they, like it was like perfectly ordinary lively kids musical but um, they just really enjoyed it so you should go see this or else you should go see some other kids musical in, in your own location because um, I get so I guess I'm recommending theater or children's theater that's a weird thing to recommend but I, I just the I, notion of theater I, yeah I guess, I guess that's my recommendation um, the, the one thing I want to say is though if you've read the book of James and the Giant Peach you remember that it the end the peach lands impaled on the antenna of the empire state building and mm. so in, in order to to dramatize the impaling of the peach on the empire state building they brought out like a, a you know a, a plywood cut out of the empire state building that's probably about six foot tall it's not even very well made it's just like a crudely painted barely recognizable silhouette of the empire state building uh, but Leo was so excited to see this model of the Empire State Building, and he jumped out of his seat and whispered to me, that must be the same model they used to make King Kong. Yes. <laughs> Full <Call> circle. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so delighted Ooh, at the idea that. that they would use the same model from a movie from like 1939 <laughs> for this production of James and the Giant Peach at the Atlantic Theater Company in 2018 rather than just make a new model of the Empire State Building. But I told him, yeah, it probably was. And he was really excited to have seen it. Oh, I love that, that kid. That is great. Um, yeah, I will say that I saw The Man of La Mancha at the McKeesport Playhouse when I was like nine years old in the small town of McKeesport, Pennsylvania. And it 100% changed my life and I ended up going to a theater conservatory largely because of what I experienced on that day watching that production of of tiny this tiny little community theater with probably seven people in the audience so there you have it nice. there you have it uh, what about you Carvel what's your recommendation I'm recommending of a uh game that apparently so we played this game last night and our and our friend Laura Tadaro who I'd like to shout out was the one who insisted that we play this game and we were like oh let me play a stupid game and then of course like a half an hour into it we were having the best time and so the way the game goes is that you every person we had five of us there three kids two adults and everyone writes down three things that they really like and three things that they really hate 
and on different index cards. So there's like one index card you write down something you like, next index card something you like, right? So three, so you have six index cards, something you like three times, something you hate three times. Then you, everyone puts all of them in a basket, and then each person takes a turn and they draw out. Uh, six of them, and they have to put them in order of how much they like the things to how much they hate the things. And then they do that secretly, and then everyone has to uh, guess, based on what they know of that person, what their order is of things they like to things they hate. It turns out that that game is based on a cranium company-type game called Hunu, as in H-O-O-N-U. And uh, we'll put the link to that on the show page. And uh, it ended up being just a lot of fun. It's a little bit like the apples to apples concept where you have to sort of get inside the person's head to understand how to play, how they would play the game. But like, so a person would get a list that would be like the ocean, the Syrian civil war, getting shoes that are too small for you, (laughs) you know, like buying shoes that are too small, like all this stuff. And we'd have to guess based on who they were, what order they put them in in terms of how much they like it to how much they hate it and it was just like Hmm. a lot more fun than it should have been considering it's such a simple game so i'm recommending it because we had a blast it's good to play with family friends and kids that are you know anyone who's of like apples to apples age up i think would really like this game so um the or young cards against humanity players right it's a young cards against (laughs) humanity play yeah it's it's in that it's in that realm the apples to apples and cards against humanity are the same game just with like different words um and so yeah cranium who knew is the name of the official game but you can play it with your own make it home device yeah stick it to the man yeah and that's our show if you have a question (laughs) that you would like us to address give us a call 424-257-833 or send us an email at momanddadatslate.com you can join the discussion about this episode and all other parenting activities on Facebook. Just go on Facebook, search for Slate Parenting. Join the group. It's good. Our show was produced this week by Cameron Drews. For Carvel Wallace and Rebecca Lavoie, I'm Gabriel Roth. We'll see you next time. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.